So there's a lot in both today's reading and gospel. I'll try and keep it short. So just a little uh, into more of the story of, of King David. So King David has a passionate heart. King David, up until about a week ago, as in two days ago in our readings, um, was doing fairly well. I mean, he had been very honorable as regards King Saul, who wanted to kill him. He could have killed Saul, chose not to. Uh, he killed Goliath. You know, he was... He did, he, he did well. He, he honestly wanted to serve the Lord. Uh, yesterday we read how he fell short of the mark, how he was, or two days ago, how he was up on the roof and he sees Bathsheba bathing, falls for her and gets her pregnant, basically, then tries to cover his tracks and then ultimately has her, hus- has her husband killed. Okay, so, I mean, he went from being a good king to all of a sudden very, very quickly being an adulterer, murderer, and, uh, and that. So today's reading is when all of this comes to a head, when as such God intervenes. Prophet Nathan says to him, he tells him this, this little analogy, it's a lovely little story, you know what I mean? Rich man, lots of flocks, herds, all good. Poor man has this one little ewe lamb who he takes care of and sleeps on his breast. Do you know what I mean? And he feeds it every day. And the rich man has a guest who comes and he says, well, rather than kill any of my sheep, let's take the poor fellow's lamb. Right? And then you know, you can, David immediately kind of stands up and says, he must die for such treachery. Point me, point me to the direction where he lives and I shall ensure that justice is served. And then Nathan says, yeah, that was you. <laughs> that was you. There are, the, 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 the reading itself is edited, so he goes on to say, Uriah, this was his only wife. And you took her from him. This was you. Now, he is he's struck with, with profound repentance. He really is. Actually, the psalm today is Psalm 50. He wrote that after this episode. So even though like, they're taken from different books, from uh, Second Samuel and Psalms, this psalm kind of chronologically follows this story. David, in his repentance, recognizing what he has done, t- returns to the Lord and says, A pure heart create for me, O God. Put a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, nor deprive me of your Holy Spirit. Give me again the joy of your help. With a spirit of fervor, sustain me, that I may teach transgressors your way, so that I may experience your mercy and then teach others how merciful you have been, and that sinners may return to you. So David recognizes the error of, of, of his ways. Now, admittedly, the next couple of verses are difficult to understand. They are difficult, uh, where it says, Nathan says to David, you shall not die but your child will. Now, I think many of us, when we hear that, we go, bless, that's... Because, like, we want to pre- always preserve the image of God as a loving father, and uh, of him as, as caring, of him as, as ultimately love, you know? So why, why would this happen? Okay, a couple of things here that we have to be careful of. Um, number one, we can choose to sin, but we cannot choose the consequences of sin. So say, for example, if, if I have some sort of an addiction, some sort of a... I make just generally bad choices or I, I drink and drive or I, I waste the family's inheritance on gambling. I can choose to sin, but I cannot choose the consequences of that action. Right? The consequences of our actions are often out of our control. Something that, that even with some of the young people I'd, I'd work with, you're constantly trying to remind them of. Because sometimes when our young people leave here, they go home for holidays, Christmas holidays, summer holidays, and they'll say, uh, Hi, Father Patrick, I'm... Um, my friends are going out tonight and maybe they're a little older than me or they're friends who tend to get drunk all the time. Should I go with them? And like your heart kind of sinks because 
there's no easy way to answer well there's a very easy way to answer it but, but there's no easy way for them to live this because you say look you, you, you look at the end of the day you live your life i can't make your decisions for you but you have to ask yourself the honest question is it good for you to go with them if you go out with them if you're going to get drunk if you're going to like have all of these dangers exposed to you when you're not in a state to even be aware of what's going on like is is this a wise prudent thing to do do you know you you get dressed up where you look as good as possible and then you black out for two hours do you think that's even imagine the amount of things that could possibly go wrong you know what I mean like it's it's not good it's just it's really not. I mean as I say you have to live your life and you have to make your decisions I mean I don't live anyone's life for them I can't but the consequences are yours and if things go wrong the consequences are yours not mine and and this is this is it's, it's a it's a difficult reality because I suppose in today's world we often live in a, I suppose a kind of a virtual reality where online you can invent your own persona, invent your own name, invent your own username, do what you want, you know, slander people on Twitter, and oh look, someone reads that cucumber five oh seven is really angry at me. You know, but you don't have to be responsible for your actions because you, you're anonymous. You know, so, but in the real world, that in the real world that doesn't. That's not the way it works. In front of God, that's not how it works. We are responsible for our actions. So very, very often, I would say maybe even the majority of the time, the right thing to do is the hard thing to do. The right thing to do, more often than not, is the, is the, is the hard thing to do. Because I think it's so easy to do the wrong thing. It's so easy to give in to temptation. It's so easy to give in to lust, pride, arrogance, um, all of your passions, whatever they may be. It's, so, that's like, it's kind of naturally, that's kind of the way you'll go because it's, it's easy. You just kind of flow in that direction. It's a, it's a constant uphill struggle, my goodness. Because like, the downhill, down into the valley of sin, that's just so easy. Because you just, yeah, just do whatever comes, do whatever feels, yeah, whatever you feel, just go do it. And you find yourself sliding down into this valley. And every time you decide for, for virtue, every time you decide for good, it's hard. Because it's kind of, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's against our nature, but it's definitely against our passions. And today's world tells us to, to, to satisfy our passions, live according to your passions, fulfill them. That's how we attain happiness, no? No. So even like, even here, you know, this, this, often this time of the year in Holy Family, this is where people start to kind of come face to face with this, with this reality that if I start to walk with the Lord, at times there are going to be hard decisions to be made. There are certain things I can't do, certain places I can't go, certain clothes I can't wear, certain quantities of drink I can't drink. And then there's this reality, this, this, this struggle. Is the Lord enough? Do I go his way or not? Do I follow him or not? And so even like, at times, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting how at times people have a struggle even deciding, you know, will, will I pray? Will I go to Mass today? Do you know, where will my feet carry me today? Because they might carry me somewhere that's easier. Carry me maybe back to my room where it's safe and I get in and there's a duvet and my phone and I'm just on my own and everything is good. Or do I choose to engage my feet and brain, walk towards chapel. 
I don't care what my head or heart are saying. Go, do what you know is right. And very, very often, the right thing is the hard thing. I would say, and I think, you see, this is, this is the cultural shift in Ireland over the last couple of decades, where back in the day, the right thing was very often the easy thing, in the sense that everyone went to Mass. You were the odd one if you didn't. And I remember, like, uh, I've told the story before. I, I told the story before, but I actually used, I, I made up name, which actually happened to be someone's name. So anyway, um, so I, I said, oh, the Rhines of wherever, and there is a family of Rhines who live there, so I have to choose another name. But like, when I was young, we'd all know the McCarthy's. There is no, I won't say where, because there probably is a family of McCarthy's living there. But uh, the McCarthy's from, that's from High Street, <laughs> who don't go to Mass. You know, oh, yeah, they're, oh, they're the McCarthy's, yeah, they, they, they don't go to Mass at all. And everyone knew that's the family who doesn't go to Mass. Honestly, like, that's within li- my living memory. I remember that. But you know, like it's very, very different, you know. So, so before, uh, at least externally, living the faith was was easy. It was the norm. Now it's not, and this is where this, this, the, the, it's a culture shock to us that now being Catholic, following the Lord, is now countercultural. So deciding for the right thing, being pro-life, is now countercultural. Being pro-family, in the traditional sense of of, of, of the term, is now countercultural. You know, trying to, to live a life according to virtue, not just values, not just what I think is good, but virtue, what God thinks is good. A firm disposition in doing what God thinks is right, you know, virtue. Uh, this is now hard. This is now difficult. This is now challenging. And I don't know, I think it's, I think it's really, really important that we're clear about that. You know, going the way of the Lord isn't a way for wusses anymore. It's not a way for those who just want the, the easy path. This is now the path of warriors, the path of soldiers, the path of those who are willing to fight. Because there's no other way. If we wait for just, well, I'll just be carried by the current, well, then you will be carried downhill because the current is not flowing uphill. And that's where the Lord is. That's where Calvary is. That's where the source of all grace is. Uphill. And we, we must go, that's, 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 that's where we're called. But I'm not going to be carried there by, by the culture of today. So, are we willing to walk? Are we willing to take one step at a time in the right direction? Are we willing to fight mainly against ourselves? David struggled, David failed. Yesterday we were comparing David and St. Thomas. St. Thomas, who famously took a roasting hot poker out of a fire to ward off a prostitute who was introduced to his room uh, on the command of his brothers to dissuade him from becoming a Dominican. You know, I think we'd all do the same thing in similar circumstances, but, <laughs> but, but this is it. This is, this is the battle. This is the battle. In 1580, 1580s, the church was being heavily persecuted here in Ireland. And there was a priest named Father Morris Kinrechton. He was in jail here, not too far away, in Clonmel. And a good landowner, Victor White, Catholic, decided he would bribe the jailers and try and get Father Morris out for the Easter ceremonies to celebrate them in his house. So he speaks to the jailer, gives him a little bribe, and Father Morris is released for the Easter ceremonies. Victor White then invites a number of Catholic families from around the locality to attend. So they're all gathered in his house. <coughs> it's all going wonderfully. 
Father Morris celebrating reverently and devotedly, and the people gathered. Who knows how long it had been since the last time they, they had been at Mass. But the authorities, the English authorities, came to hear of this Mass, and so they raided the house. So during the, the ceremonies, houses surrounded, soldiers barging the doors, and uh, the place is infiltrated by redcoats. The people inside jump out windows and doors and any nook and cranny they could find to get out of the house and not be arrested. They hid Father Morris in a stack of hay outside. So they raided the house, <clears throat> checked every room, couldn't find him. But most soldiers, as they would pass the haystack, would just stick a bayonet in in case there was anybody hiding in there. And although he was struck numerous times, never emitted even a groan. And so waited there until the soldiers had passed. <clears throat> but the soldiers took Victor White with them because he was the one who orchestrated this whole misdemeanour. So he was brought to Clonmel Jail and sentenced to death unless Father Morris presented himself. Father Morris heard this and when his wounds were bandaged, even though he could have legitimately and even morally continued to serve as a priest and continued to celebrate clandestine masses or he gave himself up to the authorities to save his friend. And even though he was uh, beaten, thrown in a dungeon and threatened, he wouldn't renounce the faith nor acknowledge the queen. Firm as a mighty rock, lashed by raging surf, no threat, however violent, no punishment, however awful, could draw from him even one word that might lead to the discovery of those who had at any time assisted at his masses or received the sacraments from him. Condemned at last to die, he was dragged on a hurdle attached to a horse's tail to the scaffold, beneath whose shadow he spoke to the people with exhort and exhorted them to be true to the faith to the end. While still half alive, he was taken down from the gallows. Partly by entreaties and partly by bribes, the quartering of his body was prevented. But while the rest of his remains were buried in the Franciscan church in Clonmel, his head was cut off and put on a stake above the market cross on the 30th of April, 1585. You read stories like that and like someone like Father Morris and, and even Victor for that matter, they knew what this uphill struggle was like. They knew that the right thing is often the hard thing. And in their case, that the right thing might even cost them their lives. All of the martyrs, all of the saints are such powerful examples to us today. Because if we're going to get this right, if we're going to be part of the rebuilding of the church, then this is a reality we must accept. The right thing is often the, the hard thing. So we ask the Lord today, our strength and our shield, to fortify us, to motivate us and to unite us that this great task of living the faith and rebuilding the church that he has entrusted to us that we might not fall short of the mark that we might live the faith as he calls us to even unto death Amen